Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation is with my new friend, Connor Beaton. Connor is the author of Men's Work. He is the founder of Man Talks, and he is one of the world's preeminent experts on men's work, helping facilitate the journey of men back to their hearts, back to themselves, uh, feeling on purpose, feeling open to intimacy, and things that are kind of some potentially fluffy language for some people. And the reality is men are hurting, men are lonely, and uh, it's really valuable, I think, for men to be able to share more intimate, vulnerable aspects of themselves and be able to tap into their emotional well-being and be able to communicate and connect and grow. This conversation is very dynamic. We get into a lot around relationships, a lot around sexuality, a lot around polarity and dynamics between man and a woman, shadow work, how to tap into some of the parts that we might be uncomfortable within ourselves to touch on. But once we do, the way the way forward is through. And uh, this conversation, I think, is very supportive for folks on their own internal journey. I want to also thank you guys for subscribing to this podcast, whether you're listening to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, so you get each week's episodes. And also, deep thanks to anyone leaving us reviews. I read every one, and it really is gratifying to hear your guys' perspective on the podcast. That is it. That is all. Let's get to it with my guy, Connor Beaton. Connor Beaton. Yes, sir. I like that name. Thank you. I not, do too. Not Connor beating it based off of your perspective on, on pornography. That's no it. more. No more Connor beating it. We don't That's do right. that. That's right. I used to, you know, <laughs> that was it. In, in in elementary, you know, it was like Connor beats off. Oh, yeah. And then I just went with it, you know, and I did like the Russian yeah. accent. It's like, yes, I'm Connor beating off. Oh, I like you that. You know, I just, it just. This one for it was when Goldeneye was around. Remember Goldeneye, like Nintendo oh, 64? Oh, I went hard on Goldeneye. Oh, yeah. I was, I was king. I was champion. Are dudes beating off too much? What's going on? What's our relationship <laughs> to masturbation? Is there a healthy version of masturbation? How, do we, how do we do this? Absolutely. You how know, do we get involved in a healthy fashion? I think it's an interesting <laughs> time. Like, all jokes aside, it's a very interesting <laughs> time to be alive, right? If you're a 15-year-old boy or 35 year old man i mean you can consume more pornographic content within yeah. the span of an hour than 99.99999% of men will have ever seen in their entire lifespan in the you know entirety of human history mm -hmm. right so yeah, I, I think that that has there's a lot of literature around it it's you know there's there's some interesting research. It's kind of challenging, but I, I think it's I think it's um, I think it's challenging for a lot of young men. You know, I think it's challenging for a lot of guys where porn is a good escape route from the banality of everyday life, of the bullshit that we're dealing with, of the challenges. It's you know, it's a good tool to go to when you are pissed off with your partner or not getting the sex that you want or enough sex. It's it's a good way to hit the reset button on your on your body if you feel like shit or you're anxious or you're upset and you don't want to feel that way anymore and you just want the dopamine to flood through your brain and your body so i think it's i think it's a lot of things and i think we're living through a kind of unintentional social experiment that is playing out real time 
in the in the population of young men in our society you know and it it started when i was a kid you know i think i found porn when i was like 13 14 years old this is back in the day of dial-up though right so it was like line by line oh, yeah. <laughs> we used to jerk off under the railroad tracks we yeah had a couple pornos there you go me and my bros you know what's interesting like i've been leading men's work for a decade yeah and the <clears> amount <throat> of men who have found pornography outside is fucking mind-blowing like in the nature like like porn magazines randomly in nature oh dude we had a whole stash Th there you go see yeah we would literally side by side whack off underneath <laughs> a, a freaking railroad tracks in Roarstown, Pennsylvania. That was like our thing. I mean, what else do you have to do in Pennsylvania? No, I would look no forward. Shame, I would be like, I would be anticipating the bell ringing from school so we could go whack up under the <laughs> railroad tracks. That was my shit. We really are going to have some man talks conversation today. Oh hey, yeah, we're is, going all the way this in. This is going to be it, yeah. We're all the way into the core. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we just went straight I in. I want to go to the root of things. Yeah, I want to go to the root. I mean, you know, I think, I think it's just a part of, you know, it's part of like every young man's uh foray into puberty right it's like you 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 go through puberty and all of a sudden you're getting fucking hard-ons on the bus because the bus is bouncing and your body's mm. just like oh should i be hard right now and yeah. in class and you know i think a lot of kids a lot of guys just don't know what to do with that i mean i didn't know what to do with that nobody talked to, to me about sex growing up or uh or pornography you know it was like this new thing you know having internet porn and so, you know, I think part of the concern for me is that young boys, some of the data is showing that young boys are starting to find porn between like eight and 11, mm. you know? And oh. so you just imagine like a nine-year-old uh, watching hardcore, you know, face fucking. Mm. And you're like, well, that, that's probably not good for that nine-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's gonna do something to him psychologically and emotionally and spiritually but you know more specifically sexually it's going to do something to him he's going to have certain expectations about what sex is is going to look like or should look like his performance um so it's i think it's a very interesting conversation i think the problem that usually arises whenever i've seen the conversation around porn emerge and i'd be curious to get your take on this is that it it sort of like dissolves into this moral conversation. Like is porn good or is porn bad? You know, and that seems to be par for the course for pretty much everything in our modern culture today. And I'm less interested in is porn good or is porn bad? And I'm more interested in if you're a man who doesn't want to watch porn but can't stop, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's the place where a lot of men are finding themselves. Or if you're a man who is opting to use pornography instead of bringing the fullness of his sexual appetite and energy into his relationship, maybe that's problematic, mm. right? And so I think it's less about the moral conversation. It's more about the use case of porn, how it's being used, why it's being used, you know, what we as men are using it for and when we're using it. Um, because there's, you know, there's a, very, there's a very complex relationship, I think, between our nervous system as men and pornography. Because uh, I think a lot of guys, and again, myself included, you know, I used to use porn as a means of just feeling better, of a kind of like pseudo-regulation of my nervous system when I felt overwhelmed or stressed out or frustrated or lonely or bored, you know, or just didn't know what to do. And it's like, well, just go jerk off and watch porn and I'll, you know, you'll feel better. Yeah. And, and so I kind of outsourced this really important piece of regulation of being able to 
you know, quote unquote, self-soothe as the therapeutic field would call it, um, of being able to ground myself. And so that, I, that I think is the primary conversation is I think it's a distraction for a lot of men, uh, from the inner work of how do I ground myself when I'm feeling shit that I don't know how to deal with. Yeah. You know, it seems like it's, it's very readily the thing. It's what's behind the thing. You know, what's the intention behind the thing. So just, yeah observing two people having penetratory sex could be really beautiful mm -hmm. it's not like it's like oh my god mm -hmm. you know it's very sacred actually it's yeah. like one of the it's like maybe it's it's the most important thing that could possibly happen on the planet <laughs> it's you marginally know? important yeah you know? yeah and it, it's it's so like it's, it's getting into what's the the quote-unquote shadow use like union speak side of that versus what's like the totally healthy yeah side of that and so I wonder from your perspective, if we were to unpack behind what's behind compulsive masturbation or compulsive, probably compulsive, anything compulsive, drug use, compulsive, cell phone observation, compulsive porn mm. intake, like what's porn specific. What, if we were to unpack the layers behind that, what let's go deeper with compulsive mm -hmm. um, porn consumption. Yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's a couple threads that sort of play into this. Um, one is our sense of belonging. I think that, you know, when we don't feel like we belong in a relationship or in a system, a family system or a friend circle, that we look for a place of belonging. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I think for some people, porn becomes this sort of illusionary, uh, uh, yeah, like fabricated place, you know, fantasy place where they can feel like they belong, right? Like if you're a 23 year old guy and you're having problems, you know, getting a date, which a lot of young men are today, right? It's like 27% of men between the ages of 18 and 29 haven't been sexually active in a year or more or ever, you know, 66% of young men between that same age bracket, 18 and 29 are single. It's like one of the highest rates of young men that have been single ever. And so if you're, if you don't feel like you can find a place to belong in dating with women, um, you can go find it in porn. You know, you can go and find an OnlyFans girl who kind of fits your bill of what you're looking for in a woman and you can pay for it. And you can find a sense of belonging. And that that feeds into this compulsive nature because belonging is a primary need. You know, it is a fundamental foundational need for us as human beings. We need to feel like we belong. And when we don't feel like we belong somewhere, we, we just do all kinds of wild and crazy shit to, to fabricate and create a sense of belonging. So I think that that for me is sort of at the foundational core of it, which maybe sounds wildly spiritual and esoteric. Um, but I think outside of that is sabotage and I think the misconception, and I've talked about this once or twice before, but I think the misconception about sabotage is that you sabotage to be out of control. And that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. You don't sabotage to be out of control. You sabotage because when you sabotage, you are looking to be in control. You know, if you think about the ways in which you sabotage, the things that you normally go to are very known to you. The pattern is very known. The cycle is very known. So if you're, if you're using pornography to sabotage the sexual intimacy or connection in your relationship, right, 
Um, that pattern, that cycle is going to be something that's probably played out in your life for a very long time. It's probably something that you're very familiar with. You know how you're going to feel before, you know how you're going to feel during it, you know the type of porn you're going to watch, you know like the the uh, video that you're going to get off to, right? Like you kind of know the whole thing, you know how you're going to feel afterwards. And so impulse control and, and not having impulse control specifically around sabotage is that we are seeking a sense of being in control when we're probably feeling very out of control in our lives mm -hmm. so i think for a lot of men who are you know they're, they're sabotaging their sex life or you know they're turning to pornography it's often because they're looking for a sense of i just need to fucking feel in control in my life when i feel out of control with the fact that i don't know what i want to do with my career i fucking hate my job my wife and i aren't getting along like you know i have four kids and they all want my attention i don't know if i'm doing a good job as a parent like when when life sort of infringes on the average human being on the average man and he feels very out of control in his life you know he's going to turn to things that feel um as if he has some semblance of influence over them and so we sabotage to be in control because our brain is a pattern recognition machine and it will always 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 defer to patterns that it knows even when those patterns are abusive unhealthy and unwanted we will still turn to the things that we don't want simply because that's known to our brain and our brain will always choose that because going into the unknown is a it's a it's a, a territory that the brain can't map you know so if you are somebody who normally uses pornography at the end of the day just to go to sleep and every time that you try to not watch pornography to go to sleep you're met with i don't know what this feels like you know this is a very strange thing and i don't you know uh, I feel uncomfortable and I feel like I can't go to sleep. Like these are the guys that I've, you know, I've worked with over the years and they're like, I, you know, I just can't bear the sensation of the unknown, the feeling of the unknown. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes those two pieces, sabotaging to be in control and looking for a place of belonging are the, what I've seen to be the, the undercurrent of it or the behind the scenes. What, what would you say? Cause obviously it sounds like you've had a, relationship with porn as well mm. <laughs> masturbating under the bridge oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> where was it Scran scranton or what where was it Ro roarstown roarstown i'm, Can I'm canadian so i don't i don't know the oh yeah we used to play hockey in canada we go to nice. uh, kitchener you defenseman outside her center that was the old position you were a center oh yeah you're a huge center yeah crazy yeah yeah uh what well, what's 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 my what's my perspective on what like why, on, why dudes are compulsively whacking it <laughs> on <laughs> what's behind the compulsive use of porn uh, well i mean there is the just like the roller coaster addictive pattern of it where you're from like a neurochemical perspective you're taking yourself you're getting this this peak of dopamine and the other correlating neurochemicals and then you're going below baseline mm -hmm. you know? so it's kind of like an opiate addiction mm -hmm. and when you're actually connecting with real human beings in the forms of friendships dinners like meaningful conversations um sexuality going out on a date the eventually getting to like the perhaps you know peak experience of like oh my god we're actually intimate with each other yeah you know there's so much self-regulation or and and, and co-regulation that's infused into that process of 
we went and we played frisbee together and we walked each other's dog or whatever and we got dinner and we connected and we looked into each other's eyes and we shared vulnerable parts of ourselves and we mm. you know and we we had this beautiful reflection back and forth and i made you feel safe and you made me feel safe and i made myself feel safe and wow like oh like there's <laughs> so much regulation baked into that yeah to finally get to this point of oh and now we're also physically intimate mm -hmm. if you strip away all the nutrients from that experience and you just get to the crescendo of like you know slamming bodies together at least like taking in the image of it um it, it would it would end up lending itself to becoming an addictive behavior yeah and but behind that i think is just a general lack of fulfillment and probably a seeking of community and a seeking of uh, a feeling like a, like a yearning for connection, I think yeah. is really what's at the root of it. Yeah. I, I yearn for connect. I want to hug. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I would agree with that entirely. And I think, you know, you and I were in the sauna talking about like the, the cacao, cocaine, um, not cacao. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cocaine, yeah. Uh, yeah cocoa, cocoa, cocoa leaf. Yeah. The cocoa leaf and cocaine analogy. And that's kind of the same thing. It's like, there's a sacredness and a utility to, um, to the plant but when you just extract it and sort of put it down to this powder you know suddenly it takes on a very different form and i think that that's the that analogy could actually be used for pornography you know mm -hmm. sex versus pornography and you you do kind of strip mine out the intimacy of it and all these important pieces um and i think porn is just you know it's like again this isn't to this isn't to knock it i'm not trying to say like anybody listen to this like you should never watch porn because i think that it gets interpreted like that often and we can become very defensive and i i genuinely don't care if people watch porn or not i don't think it's um you know good bad or otherwise i think it's just it's just about your usage of it mm. um and the knowledge that one you know porn is entertainment it just is like if you talk to anybody that's been in the porn industry they'll tell you it's entertainment and and two it's a low risk high reward system whereas relationships are the inverse of that they're high risk and sometimes low reward but sometimes very high reward and and in order for them to be high reward, we have to put in effort and we have to put in time and all of these things have to play out that are very valuable to us, especially as men, because curating intimate relationships with women is, is challenging, you know, it is hard. And so there's immense value in doing that. Whereas there's this very false sense of security and confidence and all of these pieces that can, that can arise, um, with pornography where you feel like oh there's you know i don't have to put on a lot of effort and all of a sudden there's this high reward i get to get off whenever i want you know or or you know maybe you're you're paying people online to do things that you want them to do and so there's this perception that you that you have a certain level of mastery or or control and then all of a sudden you're in person with somebody in real life and you realize that there's not a lot of skill that you possess and so i think that's the frustrating part that I've also seen a lot of men grappling with is that they they actually want a deep level of sexual mastery. You know, I, I think that that's what most of us want, right? We want to have a, a a deep level of proficiency and confidence within the realm of sex and sexuality uh, and intimacy. 
And porn can give you the illusion that you're partaking in a certain kind of sexual mastery, but you're actually on the outside looking in versus being on the inside, participating in the creation of that intimacy. Yeah, so you're eating the, the, the menu instead of the meal. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. I like that. You know? I like that. Yeah. So for a person that's feeling um, like they have like this, this vacuous um, longing sensation within them that's unidentifiable, it's nebulous. It's kind of just like, I, I don't know what I want or what my purpose is, but I know that's more than this. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think the person in that disposition, which is a lot of people, it's me, me on occasion, um, there, there would be a tendency perhaps of wanting to suppress that sensation. And there's also a path towards actually leaning into it and learning more about it. Um, does that make sense? And, mm -hmm. and if so, how does one start to unpack those kind of uncomfortable, maybe like nagging low level anxieties or, you know, knots in your stomach or like, I, yeah. I, I, I want more, Yeah, <laughs> you know, cause the world that we live in, like the nerf reality that modern people live in where you just kind of, it's, it's fucking sad. Yeah. You know, like, like to, to come from where we came from, like if you look at like native American culture, for example, mm -hmm. you know, or Vikings or whatever, not to romanticize anything from the past because there's probably a lot of effed up stuff too. Um, but, you know, hunting and gathering and building shelter and rites of passage and, you know, all of that. It's like, it's compared to I sit in a cubicle for mm. nine hours a day and then I go have a microwave, you know, in two minutes meal with processed whatever food. And then I sit in front of the Netflix and I watch some other people's lives on TV. And then mm. I take some medication to fall asleep. And then I, you know, wake up and do it all over again yeah, until I die. <clears throat> yeah. Like, good God. Yeah. How could you not want to suppress? Yeah. You know, like, like, like there's, there's some, there's like, ah, like you're, there's like this like animal, like ferocious thing inside that wants to come out. I think particularly with men, men and women, I think it's a little bit different, but men, like we want to fight. Yeah. You know, we want to have purpose and we want to go. We want, we want danger. Yeah. We want to almost die. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we want to save it's somebody. True. It, no, it's we true, need man. a damsel. It's true. I, I remember like, a, like, where are the damsels? <laughs> <laughs> I had, uh, I rode motorcycles for like a decade and, and it was this weird, you know, some of it was unhealthy in, in some ways, but I loved that feeling, you know, it was like driving 320 kilometers an hour. Yeah, you're an inch away from death the yeah. whole time. Yeah. You're just like right on that edge. Right. But there is something within our, our sort of like the masculine essence or masculine psyche or within us as men biologically that, that does want to push our edge. And I mean, if you look from an evolutionary standpoint, I mean, we, we have literally spent tens of thousands of years doing exactly that. I mean, every time you know, you would go out to hunt, there was a possibility that you weren't coming back, mm. you know? And so there, there's an edge right there, just baked into how you live life as a man for a very long time. Same thing of going to war, right? You go to the war, you don't know if you're coming back. Yeah. And so there's this edge that a lot, that a lot of men have lived with, you know, historically and from an anthropological standpoint that that just doesn't exist within some of our lives today. And every time you would go to war, I'd imagine you'd go through some process of, you know, I've heard if you die before you die, yeah. then you can like truly let go and begin to live. Yeah, which is a spiritual like paraphrasing, process. You know, other people have said that in various iterations. Yeah. But if every time you go, okay, there's a war, you're like, 
you probably go through some rituals and such and you essentially go through this ego death yes and and imagine the liberation and freedom not glorifying war not glorifying like any of it but the freedom and liberation potentially i have no idea what i'm talking about i've never gone to war i'm very soft you know but i've i've at least visually going through it and you know before going certain things before doing ayahuasca or before doing a darkness retreat i've kind of had mm. sensations of like i kind of feel like a part of me might die on this mm -hmm. and you go through this practice of in a sense almost like dying before you die yeah and that's something that um it seems valuable to be able to live a more fulfilled life or perhaps to, to maybe quell some of those inner anxieties i would think yeah well i i think what you're talking about is the the one of the core functions of initiation which we've stripped mind out of culture mm -hmm. in western society right like the the core principle of initiation richard Rohr, who's this wonderful franciscan monk has this great quote where he says unless a man goes on a journey of powerlessness he will always abuse power and so we as men we're always kind of grappling with our sense of power how do we use it we can feel that there's a, a sort of potency within us but we don't necessarily know what to do with it and so initiation is meant to create an experience and i think what you're talking about with like you know the sitting in the dark for however many days or a vipassana like we were talking about or ayahuasca is that you you kind of consciously know that you're about to go through an experience where you're going to be put in a position where you are powerless where some external force life ayahuasca the dark silence is going to put you in a position of uh you you not being able to conquer you not being able to defeat you not being able to dominate where you have to reconcile with being in a position of powerlessness and so i think that a lot of young men today when we when we don't have those initiatory processes one there's no demarcation of like when have you become a man like one of the questions i always ask at our men's weekends is what was the day that you know you became a man mm -hmm. what was the day and for the majority of men they're like i have i have no idea what right? about for you are you a man i mean for me part of it was becoming a father right. for me part of it was the rock bottom that i experienced and i think that i think unfortunately um, not to glorify hitting rock bottom, but I think unfortunately when we don't have proper initiations where elders are bringing us through these rites of passage, what we as men do is we create rock bottoms in our life right. so that we we just fucking tank and destroy everything. We put ourselves in an unintentional position of powerlessness to see who will I become on the other side of this? Can I fight my way up? Can I rise after self-destruction and if i can then i've proved something about who i fucking am as a man you know can i can i go into the cave and confront the dragon right as jordan peterson would talk about and and see who i really am when i meet the beast that's inside of me mm -hmm. and so i think that that was a a big one and then i think the other one for me the the major one was sitting with an elder you know i've been very fortunate to have three really crucial elders in my life who have played a role in ushering me into a more mature version of a man and you know i would say arguably one of the most important conversations i had with my first mentor um, was after i hit rock bottom and i lived out of the back of my car for a few weeks um, 
I didn't want anybody to know what I had done. You know, I was, I had been lying, I'd been cheating and I'd been abusing substances. Like I just, I'd been a grade A asshole, you know, like I really. Cheating on your girlfriend? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, um, I would like to talk about infidelity as well. Sure. I'd love to unpack like, why were you cheating? Why, yeah. why do men cheat? Why is that a thing? Yeah. What yeah. is, what, what, and I'd like to learn more about your rock bottom. Is this for your uh, feminine whispering podcast? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're going to start a <laughs> sister podcast, a man talk called the feminine whisperer. It'll blow up or something it'll, like that. It'll be huge. Oh, is it whispering with the feminine? I can't remember what it was, but it was good. Know. As soon as you said it, I was like, that's good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was sitting with my mentor at one point and, and he, you know, I, I just, I really felt like I was broken and I really felt like there was something fundamentally wrong with me. You know, I kept fucking up. I couldn't get my life together. You know, I kept hurting the people that I loved. And we started having this conversation. I said, you know, I don't even know why you have agreed to work with me. You know, because I was apprenticing with him and he was teaching me about Jungian psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy and Buddhism and Zen and Taoism. And, and it was very confronting for me because I didn't feel like I deserved any of that elderhood. You know, I didn't feel like I deserved any of that. And he said to me, you know, sometimes, Connor, it, we all need somebody to believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. And I just remember like breaking you know, like breaking down and became very emotional because I could, it was this thing that I had felt from him for so long. It was like this masculine presence in my life that was immovable, you know? And I, I, I got very clearly in that moment that there was nothing that I could do, uh, that that man wouldn't have a kind of deep love and respect for me. You know, he might set boundaries with me. He might not work with me. He might, you know, do a bunch of things, but he, there's, I got reverence in that moment and I think that in, in that moment and in that relationship, I was able to receive this kind of nourishment of what it meant to be a mature man. I want to take a moment and share a free resource with y'all to sort out your movement that is starting the first free week of the Align Method online program, where you get a thorough movement assessment to establish what is your personal movement baseline. And then on top of that, we share fundamental mobility techniques that will make a massive difference in your own personal practice. If you do any type of stretching or yoga or foam rolling or resistance band training or training in general, you want to get the most out of your body. These are must know mobility techniques. And then it finishes with a sit rise challenge. So you can test yourself and see how effectively you get up and down off of the ground. That is the first week of the Align Method online program. It's a six week program. You can start the first week at alignpodcast.com slash a MP. And with that, you will also join the free Align community where there's over 3,000 other members in there. So I pop in there each day, totally free. The first week is totally free. And then if you don't love the idea of continuing on with the six-week program, then you can cancel anytime. So check us out over at alignpodcast.com slash AMP. I think something that's valuable, like I've, I've attended some AA Mm -hmm. meetings mm -hmm. and also uh whatever it's called essay like sex addiction i'm going to like the, a bunch of the different uh aa related meetings just out of curiosity or for i mean i've got all sorts of compulsive addictive behaviors mm. i think they're all kind of like relatives mm -hmm. you know yeah. it's general general void filling general avoid yeah. <laughs> avoidant avoidant patterns there's yeah gf yeah yeah exactly GFA. i just start a new one yeah there you go the gfa yeah. program yeah. general void but there's something 
I think Jeez. very quite supportive about being in those groups because they the 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 cultural trend, the cool thing to to do and be in that is to be at rock bottom. Right. And to be vulnerable. Yeah. And to be in a place where it's like, I don't know anything. I've 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 effed everything up. I've ruined all my relationships. I tried to end my life. I couldn't even do that right. Yeah. Like take the wheel, Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're like to be in that place it's you can also i think get wrapped up in that place where you gain a little maybe a little too much momentum in that and you start patterning yourself of like yeah okay you're not just a sinner you're yeah. also a lot of other stuff too yeah um but to also have access to that place it i think it perhaps potentiates some level of um like emotional plasticity of mm. sorts mm-hmm. we were like i'm really not in control i'm not doing this right mm-hmm. i need help that's a very meaningful place for a person to come into and in, in a way, it's like a version of that dying before you die type situation. Yeah. You know, and so so I wonder for you, do you have any sense of that? I've felt that way as well. Like I, like I, I feel like eternally broken mm. in a way. Like I don't know where I'm broken or what it is, but like I just, I feel like there's something not right here. Yeah. Um, how, what was that like for you? And how did you start to unpack that and come into a place of, of I don't know, integration, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, I think for a very long time, I pursued the question of why do I feel like this? You know, and my, I think the rational mind wants to figure out a very clear answer to that question. You know, I think many of us feel like that in some way, shape or form. And I, you know, could sort of point to things that had led to it. You know, my parents got divorced when I was three. I I witnessed their divorce, you know, it was heartbreaking. It's one of my first memories. Um, my mom battled with alcohol, you know, so child of an alcoholic, you know, all, all those types of pieces had a deep, you know, I, I lived with my mom growing up and, and, uh, had a deep yearning to spend more time with my father. Cause I only, you know, saw him once or twice a month. And, and there was this kind of void that started to grow within me in his absence. And, and so, you know, I could point to any number of those things, but I think what I've learned over the years is that why we feel that void is less relevant than what that experience is actually like. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we can look at some of the traumas or the abuses that we've experienced and we can say like, oh yeah, that is what created this wounding that I, you know, carry this, this void or this numbness that I feel. Um, but that answer is actually less relevant than the impact that the experience had and how we begin to uh, carry that wound within us. And I think that that is part of the process. Like for me, I started to get very curious about how do I actually become a steward to this part of myself, you know, that I begin to tend to this wound, you know, much like a soldier has gone out on the battlefield and maybe has come back missing a limb, he's going to need to rehabilitate and tend to the part of himself that he lost. Mm -hmm. He's going to need to grieve that, you know, he's going to need to learn to move through the world in a different way. And I don't think that we often think about that in the same way when it comes to our psychological and emotional wounding. And so for me, it really was the question of how do I tend to this part of me? Because the 
the framework that I normally would operate from, which I think a lot of us as men operate from is like, how do I fucking kill this part off? Right. You know, like in my inner kingdom, I can feel that there's these parts of me that I don't like, right? My inner critic, this deep pain that I carry, sometimes this grief from X, Y, and Z and the, you know, rage about something. And the natural response to that is like, how the fuck do I get rid of that? How do I exile it out of my inner kingdom? How do I kill it off? Um, so that I don't have to deal with it or, or feel with it. And, you know, the, the sort of cliche with it is that we have to learn how to build a relationship to it. And so I, I finally came into a place where I began to prioritize learning how to build a relationship with my own pain. And that's like, you know, the first line of my book is that a man's work begins in pain, period. Because if you as a man aren't willing to turn towards your pain and start to understand it and start to learn how to tend to it and start to learn to tend to the the man that you become when your pain becomes very inflamed and activated like you're fucked you know it's like you can either learn how to deal with your anger or the world will have to deal with it for you or kids or your kids will yeah. have to deal with or it for your you, next right? lifetime belief system it's like you either deal with this now yeah. or in 10 years 40 years 80 years or perhaps depending upon your belief system maybe five lifetimes from now yeah some other lifetime right who yeah. knows yeah but let's just like stay more pragmatic and it's like you do this now or if you're lucky enough to have kids your kids will will have it yeah i think yeah is that how it works essentially yeah you know yeah because you're subconsciously your your child is a sponge 100 percent. so what it's it's what what a, an amazing responsibility to bring <laughs> a new life into the world again lots of things i don't know what the hell i'm talking about because i don't have a kid uh but this is another thing i visualized and explored and you have experience with so i can ask you um but my my feeling is that level of accountability of acknowledging especially being a person like yourself that you know writes you know hosts men's work gatherings and does write a book called men's work and you know, it's all about unpacking your subconscious and all mm -hmm. of those things. And the awareness that your child is picking up subconsciously every little detail of, of who you are. Mm -hmm. And like something that I've, I experienced growing up, my dad was, uh, he had some issues with like alcohol and things growing up. You know, my mom had some things with like, she was kind of like a perfectionist mm -hmm. of sorts. You know, it's, they had their own version of quote unquote trauma from their childhoods with their parents and my sensation based off of therapy and different kind of like somatic experiences and such and, and introspection um, is that at that time frame I was clocking that or tracking that as uh, you're not able to tend or be present within yourself and within your life so you need to numb mm. and here I am this like light in your world <laughs> and you need and life is too heavy and you need to suppress and numb yourself mm. so when you're holding me and you're you know buzzed it, not just buzz because you're having a good time and you're having you know having some wine with your wife or whatever but like it's life is too much and you're suppressing yeah and i would imagine a child could only receive that as some version of oh i must not be enough for you mm -hmm. i would think Mm -hmm. or some iteration of that yep you know and so like the sooner a person can start to go in and clean up those low level anxieties or fears or guilt or shames or 
anything that's holding you back from being like a like a what does you can call it like an individuated person mm-hmm. uh like your full expressed self uh before being a, a, a parent i'd imagine would probably be really good for your kid yeah and, and i think just to you know say something on that i love the way you articulated it. it's like the the aim isn't perfection yeah you know the aim is a, a deeper sense of wholeness yeah and and to have a better relationship with the self. And, you know, there's some great work by a gentleman named Dr. John Barry, who I believe is in Scotland or the UK. I can't remember exactly where his institute is. But I mean, he's done a bunch of research to find, you know, what's the what's the primary motivator and driving factor for men that actually allows us to have a deep sense of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And what he's found is that a, a constant pathway or commitment to self-development is one of the most richly rewarding things that we can do because we you know like in the book i talk about our relationship to women in one point and we as men we get very externalized like we can we can very quickly focus on the woman right i gotta figure her out i gotta solve her problems like what does she need what does she want and we can lose our our sense of self very quickly in a relationship like a d- deflection device yeah deflection projection onto them oh. um and we can we can sort of offload our sense of well-being happiness you know validation onto the women that we're with in a way where we completely miss ourselves and and the women that we date aren't the journey they're not the adventure they're not the exploration it's actually us right our our personal psyche psychology our ethics our morals right um when we can begin to turn towards and and move away from this externalization of trying to figure out problems out in the world and solve the people that we're around and make sure that everything's right for them and we can begin to turn that lens of consciousness and awareness fold it back in on ourselves and say you know what what are my ethics what are my morals what are my values what really matters to me what's the adventure that i need to go on in my own life whether that's you know out in the world to go on an actual adventure or to look at your own healing and development as a form of adventure and when we can do that you know so many uh of the requirements that we need to develop ourselves into spiritually expansive uh you know pragmatically competent men will start to unfold you know i mean who i was 12 years ago it was so radically different than who i am today and a lot of that is a result of me being able to turn the lens on myself and look at what do i need to work on you know how do i better myself how do i you know face some of my fears how do i um, you know, be more honest and transparent with the men that are in my life so that I have support, that I have a sense of community and belonging. And so starting to add in all of these pieces that are incredibly important. So, Why is that so scary for people, for some people? And probably even if a person thinks it's not scary for them, there's probably some levels that they haven't observed yet with themselves or haven't been available to observe yet. Mm. But some there's some folks where it's like everything is about you. Yeah. Like you, you out pointing outward. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that victim mindset, which is now, you know, coming into, to greater popularity in the, in the last, I don't know, few years on social media, at least. Yeah. You know, identifying like all of the ways that I am a victim, yeah. you know, and that's well, like your calling card. There's immense power in, in victimhood, right? Like there's an, there's an immense, there's an immense power in, in either feigning being the victim 
or even, and this isn't victim blaming, like just to make, make it very clear, like I think that there are many people who have very truly been victimized and sure. you know, dealt with incredibly challenging things and gone through horrific things. But there's, there's a way that victimhood can reorient power structures, especially relationally, right? If you feel like you've been um, ostracized or harmed or et cetera, uh, you can wield that in a way where you can start to subtly manipulate and and coerce other people into acting and behaving in the way that you want. Mm-hmm. And it can create a very clear illusion of safety and security. And when we're in a victim mindset, the thing that we want most is safety and security, right? We want to feel safe. We want to feel connected. We want to feel like we have a, a sense of tethering to the other but it creates a false I-thou relationship, right? It creates an I-it relationship. So you no longer become a thou, which in Gestalt would be, you know, the equivalent of, uh, you know, another version of you, I guess you could say, a humanized spiritual being. You become an object. Mm-hmm. And you become an object that I need to control in order to get my needs met. So I don't think that answers your initial question. That was like a little tirade on, on victimhood because I think that's important. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I lost, lost the thread of what oh, the initial it's okay. question Yeah, was. just the initial question is, is the, 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 I don't know if I remember the initial question either, but the, the, the value, a person that is in the, the place where it just seems, and I'm sure some folks perhaps could resonate with this within a, a romantic relationship, probably be the, the place would be most common to see us come up. And perhaps both partners feel like they're mutually, they're other partner is doing this mm-hmm. you know and they're both yeah. kind of in this like monologue <laughs> uh-huh. against each other there's not really much of a conversation happening but to be in the place of um kind of consistent blaming uh-huh. pointing out uh-huh. compared to reorienting the operating system to into a, uh, an orientation of what's my role in this yeah like is is that a better operating system you know like how like what, what's like in relationship blaming criticizing it's like the john gottman four horsemen contempt blaming yeah criticizing contempt. stonewalling yeah contempt criticism stonewalling if a person's in that orientation in their communication style yeah where it's all out yeah how do, how do we start to rework that in a way that it starts to come into a place of mutual accountability where we're actually mutually excited to look inward mm-hmm. and excited to say what is my role in this mm-hmm. as opposed to you made me feel this way you did this to me how do we get into a place of you know, you know just greater responsibility, if that's even possible, a better direction or yeah. possible? Yeah, I, I I would certainly say it's a better direction, right? I mean, I think we a, a couple of things. One, we have to prioritize connection and intimacy within the relationship. That connection becomes priority above disconnection, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, many of us have been taught directly or indirectly to prioritize disconnection you know we i think we wildly underestimate the power of modeling what we see in our family system growing up you know if you see parents arguing nonstop, you know they're constantly mm-hmm. at each other the likelihood that you're either going to just repeat that pattern in your relationship or you're going to say i'm going to live in opposition of this i don't want to be anything like them. i'm going to live in opposition of that entirely and so what do you do you never engage in conflict. Mm. 
Mm. right? You just don't bother getting angry or setting boundaries or doing anything that's going to create disconnection. And so you start to acquiesce and fawn and do all of these maladaptive things to try and maintain the illusion of connection, but intimacy never gets to like penetrate. People pleaser or a simp. I like simp. Yes, simp. Yeah. I like simp. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I'm about that. That's going to be the title, right? Of this episode. Oh, like yeah, how not sure. to simp in I'm life. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think, I think in many ways you, we, almost all of us at some point in our development will have had to trade some form of integrity or authenticity for a sense of belonging, whether that's in school, whether that's at home, whether that's with friends, whether that's with people that we're attracted to. And, and so we kind of have to start to undo that modality, you know, and you know, how do you sell that to people? I mean, I think you, you kind of have to come to that notion on your own that the way you're doing things is just not workable. And I think everybody knows that at some point, right? But like, it really does have to come from a place of ownership. Like Jung said that the first step in the, any therapeutic process, any spiritual process, any religious process, any process of change is admission. It's mm -hmm. confession. And so at the very least, you have to be willing to admit and confess to yourself, like the way that I'm doing things is not working, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise nothing else can go on. Um, and then be willing to, to look at what might I be trading for a sense of security, safety, connection within this relationship, right? Am I not expressing my anger? Am I not putting boundaries in place in my relationship? Am I withholding certain truths about what I want sexually? You know, so you have to start to sort of mine for what is it that I'm not bringing into this relationship that would actually allow me to feel fully connected and fully online and vibrant with this other person. And then, you know, you have to acknowledge that there's probably a risk in that. I think a lot of people are, have been, you know, in the last 30 years, I would say, um, wildly domesticated and, and taught to become risk avoidant and mm -hmm. risk averse. And so even these micro things of, oh, I have this fantasy in my relationship. I really wanted to do this role play or I've wanted to fuck in this certain place, or, you know, I want to feel this way sexually in, in, in my relationship with my wife or, you know, with my husband or whatever, those types of things seem far too risky because in the background is this noise of like, well, I might, what if I get rejected? What if they don't want that? You know, what if I get denied or I get abandoned again, right? If I bring this forward and suddenly it's this huge discrepancy and this person leaves me. And so we have to be willing to face the fear of rejection in order for change to be possible. Like I, one of the things that I, I wrote about in the book is like, there is no change without confrontation period. Yeah. There's no change without confrontation. And so we have to muster the courage to confront the things within our lives that feel, that almost feel a little bit overwhelming. It's a workout. It's a hermetic stress. Yeah. There's no, there's no, um, change in your physical structure and your, your musculoskeletal structure without <laughs> exercise. Right. Yes. 
So if you're just like, wow, man, this just feels good. I'm just here. It's just, we're just chilling. This feels good. Yeah. It's like that's okay, but you're going to suffocate on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to do something hard at some point if you want to create change, yeah, which would be the confrontation. And resistance isn't bad, right? So, you know, it's like, what's the conversation you need to have in your relationship or with your friends? What, what's the sort of truth that you need to admit you know that you've been avoiding or rejecting in in your dynamic whether that's sexually or or whatever that maybe you you know or maybe it's with a friend maybe it's with a family member maybe it's just with yourself about work or whatever it is but but being willing to confront that truth i think is one of the very first steps of, that we all need to take why is infidelity so common oh You know, I, I think I really love Esther Perel's sort of work on this. She and I have chatted a number of times on this because um, she's very interested in, in the work that we as men are starting to take on culturally. Um, and so, you know, I think in many ways, and this is maybe a little controversial, I'm not too sure, but I think in many ways, um, evolution has has built us to have sort of opposing uh, mating preferences mm. right and so we as men we want to we want to have many many sexual partners for a lot of reasons that are biological and evolutionary and and so but conversely a lot of women are really looking for from a foundational place commitment and so you know one of the things that that i've said before is like women are the gatekeepers of sex and men are the gatekeepers of commitment and so when you look at it, the, the dating and mating structures that you know, women are always trying to evoke commitment from men, you know, how much time will you spend with me? How much love will you give to me? How much attention and care and all of these things that are signals of a, of a deeper level of commitment. And, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. But then on the other side, we as men are always looking for a sense of sexual openness and commitment through sex and intimacy because it's we all know it's a very challenging thing for us to procure right so it's very challenging for most women to procure commitment from a man especially a man who is good in his own life you know he's got good friends he's got a good career he's you know he's elevating himself you know he's doing inner work he's doing all these things um women know that that it's challenging to procure that and so when we get into a relationship it's not like these competing things just vanish you know this these competing desires just vanish and so they start to butt heads and then you layer on top of that things like childhood trauma the differences in our family systems you know the commentary that you probably heard as a kid around sex and intimacy the shame and the baggage that you might be bringing into a relationship because of you know um, religious commentary around sex and intimacy that has convinced you that you know you shouldn't express yourself sexually in a certain way in a relationship and so there's all of these social biological cultural um, impediments that start to work their way into a relationship and make it very challenging for people to be fully sexually open and fully sexually expressed and to have a kind of continuity where that's at the forefront of the relationship and that it's prioritized in a way that both people feel like they're being nourished and 
connected to and that their you know their their desires are being met and so I, I think that it's it's wildly complex why is infidelity so common you know i think there's a lot of reasons for this and uh, you know i think there's many people that have done a good amount of research esther perel talks about this a lot um i think my take on it is that a couple of things you know one again we all want to have a sense of belonging and we want to feel like we fit in somewhere we want to feel like we belong somewhere and so if we're going through a period in our relationship or our marriage or whatever it is where we don't feel like our needs are being met in that space we start to feel like we don't belong in that place in that relational dynamic and so what do we do we start to consciously or unconsciously open the doors for where might i belong or maybe not even all of me but where might this part of me belong this part of my sexual desire this role player this fantasy that i want to experience and explore where might this part of me belong and so the real challenge is bringing the fullness of who we are and what we want into a monogamous relationship right and i think that in our traditional forms of monogamous relationships they're just riddled with bullshit you know again religious societal gender based expectations of what things should look like and how they should go and so you know we just have this tremendous amount of shit and garbage that has entered into our sexual bedroom that we kind of have to clean out mm. in order for us to prioritize the intimacy between two people because otherwise you know with the rise of online dating and internet apps and you know um just sex apps i mean you can go and get whatever fantasy you want pretty much met at any given time so uh, i think that there's a lot of conflicting pieces that play into this maybe i'll speak from a personal standpoint because i think that might help to contextualize some of this so you know one of the things that was hard for me to write about in the book was infidelity because i cheated in almost every relationship that i was in mm. and it was one of my deepest form uh of shame of who i was you know i had really hurt a lot of the women that i had dated and they always find out yeah mm. yeah yeah they all knew We'll take a moment and talk about male grooming support for this podcast is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscaped performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle join over 8 million men worldwide who trust manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with the code align at manscaped.com that is 16 million balls worldwide tended to by manscaped i have truly been very impressed by this product um, the packaging is amazing and hilarious the product itself is really incredible like i have been a person that has manscaped for the last 20 years or something uh, or so and i am genuinely impressed by the quality of this product i am not just saying that because it's an ad i truly love it it is i got the performance package so i also got the face buzzer as well which outdid my previous beer trimmer dramatically so i got rid of that thing and i am truly so stoked so impressed with manscaped i think you guys are going to absolutely dig it and you get 20 percent off and free worldwide 
shipping. So check it out. Manscaped has truly impressed me. I think you guys will dig it as well. Get your 20% off by going to manscaped.com and use the promo code align for free shipping and 20% off. I think there's something to wanting to be caught with things. I think it's like, like some Peter Levine stuff like awakening the tigers he gets into a lot of different examples of that yeah. um i think that's how that book's called awakening the tiger so awakening the tiger yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um where your subconscious wants to heal your toxic waste within you yeah you know, like we're like the body mind heart all the all the, the the systems they're seeking homeostasis and if you have some clenched bracing pattern somewhere mm-hmm. in there it's pretty much continually trying to work its way out and it'll mm. work its way out in an argument or work its way out because you got arrested for doing a thing it works its way out because your girlfriend busted you for cheating on her or whatever and then suddenly you're like ah oh, and then therapy and all the things yeah but all of those i think are little flares or trying to be seen mm. those parts within you yeah and it creates trouble in your life it seems like the sooner the person can start to just be open to the investigation and the accountability of like what's within me mm. the sooner you could start to you know probably um avoid some of those f-ups you know yeah well i mean you know sometimes infidelity is a sign that there's something missing in the relationship that has gone sideways right a couple has grown apart there's a lack of communication um you know there's certain desires and intimacies that are being brought forward um but there's also something within the person who is being unfaithful, right? And so it's it's never just that one individual. I think one of the things that's very important is that whenever infidelity has happened in a relationship, both people have a part to play, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it comes to the, the breakdown within the relationship. Um, but for the person who has been unfaithful, you know, I, I think in in many ways, for myself like sex became a a place where i just started getting attention as a young man Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel very good about who i was as a young man and i didn't feel very good about my capacities for much you know i was pretty average at everything but i felt like i was good very good at getting attention from women especially sexually Mm. and so it became this kind of drug of validation and it was very interconnected to my sense of self-worth. And so when I felt shitty about who I was, or I felt shitty about what was happening in my life, or I felt lost or directionless or whatever it was, it was a good place for me to go in order to get some ego boost and feeling of like self-worth and empowerment and yeah. you know, not in a not in a necessarily healthy way or or in integrity, but it was a way for me to to get that hit of validation and worth that I I hadn't developed a framework in myself to give that to myself. Yeah, it's like I've never learned how to actually or felt safe to love myself, which yes. again is one of those deluded, like right. cliche things to say that I, I'm like almost like, oh, I'm saying <laughs> fucking love myself on the podcast. And there's legitimacy to it. If you do unpack deep enough, maybe not everybody, but for me at least. A point where it's like oh yeah like that feels uncomfortable there's like a deep yeah. internalized shame yeah in there yeah. and if you can find someone else in the periphery to validate and say like no you're actually pretty good yeah i'd like to sleep with you <laughs> you're like well, all right like we're good 
I'm good for five days. Yeah. Well, and I think <laughs> we feel we're all right. I think the other thing, one of the things that'd be maybe interesting for us to touch on is like what's called the Madonna horror complex. Have you ever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you heard that. Yeah. yeah. So that was very much, you know. But my, explain. Yeah. So the Madonna yeah. horror complex is is essentially like you get in a relationship with a woman who you deeply love and respect and you turn her into the archetype of the Madonna, right? This sort of pure loving being who you, you sort of pedestal and idolize and respect. Um, and you begin to slowly separate the ability to see her as the quote unquote archetype of the whore. Right. So this very primally sexual being that can be the, the sort of, um, uh, vessel of your sexual desires. And so what ends up happening is that you separate and you begin to separate women into those two categories. And that's certainly something, and there's a number of reasons why this can happen, right? You can, you know, you can have had a really loving mother and you sort of saw her in a very specific way. And so that, you know, you attract women that maybe, um, remind you of her in some capacity right their love their their gentleness their softness etc and so the idea of bringing your more primal um sexual energy to that woman that you're in love with feels like you're tainting her in some way it feels like you're mm. degrading her or um, disrespecting her in some capacity rather than it being a true authentic expression of your love you know of of your sexual desire manifest through the heart. And so, which maybe sounds a little bit woo-woo for some folks that are out there, but one of the things that I've noticed in many men is that this Madonna horror complex is very active, especially within the nice guy, you know? And so that was me to a T, you know, I had sort of, I started to date these women that I really loved and, you know, I, I thought that they were so wonderful. And it was like the more that I fell in love with them, the less capable I felt of bringing my sexual energy, mm. the, the true version of how I wanted to show up in the bedroom to them. And so this split started to happen where the women that I would cheat with were were the archetype of the whore like yeah. i didn't want to date them i didn't want to be with them sure. i didn't want to fall in love with them i just wanted to fuck them and it was a very specific energy but it was missing that love and so there was this yearning and longing for me of like i want to merge those two things i, I want to bring those two things together and so i had to do a, a good amount of work on understanding like what is going on with within me that is causing me to separate women into these sort of two categories and not be able to bring the the sort of full expression of my sexual desire and sexual power and potency into the women that i really love mm. and what i started to realize was that that was incredibly incredibly vulnerable yeah it felt so fucking confronting um, for all the reasons that I talked about before, you know, what if my view of her changes and, you know, the, the woman that I thought is just like this loving, pure being, all of a sudden I look at her a different way. And I saw that as a bad thing rather than an expansive version of seeing who she is. You probably don't accept your quote unquote shadow and therefore simultaneously you're not able to accept her and hers that's right yeah so i had discarded my 
my sort of like so sexual like desires fragmented internally therefore you're fragmented within the relationship within the relationship that's correct yeah yeah and so you, you know you have your 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 you're like visualizing like santa claus with this satchel <laughs> yeah, the satchel like the shadow like presence black you just shovel them off to other gals <laughs> yeah you're like okay you yeah and so you know over time in dating women that i really loved i i started to bring that part of me online and to risk saying you know here's what i want to explore and here's here's what my sexuality really looks like and here's how i want to feel in the bedroom and here's the type of role plays that i want to experience and here's how i desire to show up sexually within our interactions and doing that was wildly confronting but also started to bring those two parts of me together and started to teach me that it was okay to express this this part of me and that the women that i loved um were willing to receive that part of me and it was so it was very healing in a lot of ways it also liberates them and it liberates them permission to be able absolutely. to go deeper within themselves yeah absolutely and so it was this wonderfully in many ways sort of spiritual endeavor of getting to bring the the you know, I think we all have a sort of dark side to our sexuality and yeah, getting to, cool. getting to bring that into our my relationship. And so I think that we're we're all sort of craving this because sex is this beautiful place where the true depths of our being can begin to emerge. You know, our shadow, um, our relationship with power, our relationship with powerlessness, all of those things can begin to emerge in that space. You know, the our relationship to just being in the moment, right? Not needing to necessarily do anything, but just being in the moment and sort of playing with energy and playing with a person's, um, you know, essence and their their sexual arousal and being so tuned in to what's happening in their body and their breath and the the whole thing. And so, it's been a a wonderful journey, and I, you know. <laughs> I had somebody ask me like, do you wish that you had, you know, didn't have to go through all the infidelities? And I was like, I don't know if I would have learned no other way. Any it's other way. So painful. You'd you know? be so ashamed. Yeah. That you're just you just feel like a like a like a complete uh you're like in the dirt. It's all it's all Christian stuff slash yeah. lots of other religious ideologies. Like yes. you need to be on your knees in order to to, to change. Yeah. And if you're still kind of like, okay, like one knee, it's like, no, no. Yeah. Both knees. Both. <laughs> All the way down. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I mean, like, even that kind of dynamic can show up, you know, in, in the bedroom. And so it it's it's been a it's been a very interesting journey. Um, and I think for a lot of couples, like my wife and I work with a, a lot of couples because she's a, a marriage and family therapist. And sex is just one of those places where it's the intersection for all the challenges that a couple is having. Mm. Communication problems, boundary problems, you know, all of it shows up in sex. All of it sort of filters into how, how uh, a couple will, will do sex and what gets in the way of sex. And so, you know, one of the most sort of fun things that I like to do when working with a couple is like, tell me exactly what's going on in your sex life. Mm. You know, like, let's just start there what what does you know what does it look like for you where are you satisfied where are you dissatisfied where where do you feel resistance what's the most common themes you see you hear in dissatisfaction uh i mean generally guys will say that the common thing of like i don't feel like we have sex enough um sometimes that can be the female partner for sure i'm not saying that it's exclusively men um but that's one of the biggest dissatisfactions and then you know there's uh, comment, comments about the length 
and the duration of sex. That's also a major discrepancy between couples that one person is wanting to have sex a lot longer than the other person. And that can be because that person doesn't want to go for that long or, you know, it's uncomfortable or they, they, you know, they can't, right. Or can't is, you know, in loose terms. Um, so that's a big one. And then there's the sort of, there's the why of why have sex in the first place? Like what role does sex play in the relationship? And I think that's a fundamental place that all couples need to begin with. It's like, what role and what purpose does sex have for you individually in the relationship? And what role and what purpose does sex have in the relationship for your partner? Because if you see sex as the vessel for spiritual expansion and actualization, and your partner's like, well, it's just a place for me to- Bust a nut. Bust a nut. (laughs) It's like, that's a pretty big fucking discrepancy. You know, it's like, it's like you're, you're like, you're just speaking in different languages. You're in different countries. You're exploring very wildly different territories. And so just, just the fundamental question of like, what is the role that sex plays in a relationship and, and what purpose do you want it to, to play? And, and so that can, you know, that sometimes can be a really great place for couples to, couples to start. And I would say the last thing is probably just how I would describe it as like power dynamics within the relationship. Mm. Um, you know, who wants to be leading the interaction and guiding it and who wants to be opening themselves uh, to the, to the experience of like where it's going to go and not necessarily that either person knows where it's going to go, but be on the sort of receiving end of, um, being led through positions, through different dynamics, through, you know, certain types of communications or, uh, or role plays or places where intimacy happens or when it happens like that, that I think is very important as well, because, um, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said everything in life is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. And I think that that holds very true. And that's why sex becomes the intersection for everything in a relationship. Because when a couple is going through a power battle, right, they're having disagreements, it shows up in their sex. Mm. And you can work through some of the things, some of the discrepancies that are happening in your relationship through sex. You know, it's like for guys, like post nut clarity, it's a very real thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a very real thing. And so like the thing that you thought really fucking mattered, you know, like the hill that you were dying on, the point that you were trying to fucking prove. And like, she has to understand that I'm right about this. And he's like, you fucking orgasm. You're like, oh, not that doesn't matter nope. at all. Like, I don't give a shit about that yep. in the least. That's not a thing. Right. And so <laughs> uh, I love that. We just, you yeah, you got to. Yeah. Maybe too serious. No. You got to oscillate. Yeah. What's your, what's your take on, on infidelity and because it is very common, you know, in our, in our society, like, do you feel like it plays a certain role in an individual's life or within a couple's life that they're trying to figure something out outside of what I I would echo most of what you said, honestly. Mm. Yeah. I don't have a lot to, to add. I mean, it could just be like, there's, there's obviously like the evolutionary psychological perspective of mate swapping and 
Yeah. And uh, what is the ideal relationship container? Is it monogamous? Is it monogamish? Is it like some kind of version? Like, I don't, I don't actually know. It seems like in the culture that we live in, some version of monogamous to monogamish, whatever that means to you is probably about appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, If it becomes polyamorous, which I don't know a lot about, um, but I know you know, people that have been involved in that, I haven't seen a lot of long-term functioning polyamorous relationships, particularly once kids enter into the situation. Yeah. I think you can probably get away with a lot more without kids. Um, I've heard you, you can like choose your, your, your work. Uh, what is it like your work, your health, your girlfriend and your kids, but you, you only, you only get three, mm. something like that. You know, once you introduce kids into the situation, it's like, Oh boy. Yeah. It ch- like, it good luck so incorporating another situation in there. Yeah. Um, but I think it's ultimately it's a, it likely comes back to a lack of communication and a lack of communication comes back into shame or fear of not being accepted. Yeah. And those lack, uh, or that, the, the fear of, uh, or shame of not being accepted for the way that you think and the way that you feel, um, there's a mutual accountability within the partnership mm-hmm. there that you know, like if, if both partners can be in that place where you feel so safe with that person that I know that I can share like the depths of myself Mm. and I don't even know what I'm sharing. Mm. Like I don't even know myself all the way. Like, well, like in this experience, I'm just here to grow, Mm. you know? And like, that's our pact and whatever I share, you're able to come from that place, not immediately from a place of judgment. And even if you do, I can then, I can then step back and then I can hold the reins for a moment and I can say, okay, I can be neutral around your judgment yeah. and we can kind of oscillate and pull each other back. Cause we're not going to just be like perfectly neutral all the time. No, but if not. you can have that dynamic where it's like, okay, sometimes I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to get reactionary and I'm going to fall off for a moment. And I, I need you in that moment. Yeah. And sometimes you will, and I'll be there, you know, but you, you have that in the way that you would work through that would be through successfully making through conflicts mm-hmm. and developing deeper levels of trust and intimacy. And, to be able to do that, it probably takes a lot of like emotional hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think relationships take a tremendous amount of work, you know, and like Jung said that the fastest horse in the race of individuation or wholeness or integration is marriage or relationship, you know, because our shadows come out in relationship. You know, he said women stand at the very edge of what a man knows about himself mm-hmm. and women stand at the very beginning of where a man's shadows begins. And so all of our stuff comes up in relationship and it, it becomes the place where we, where we sort of fight out this spiritual, psychological, emotional battle for belonging, mm-hmm. you know, not just who we think we are, but all the shit that we don't like about ourselves that also wants to be included in the conversation. Yeah. And so uh, it, maybe I'll just wrap up the infidelity piece with, there's this, uh, I gave a Ted talk years and years ago, which I would do very differently today. I had to give the same talk, but there was this woman and her name is escaping me right now, but she, she spoke and she was a sex therapist. And I I think she said a line that stuck with me. I think I might've wrote written it in the book, but she said on average, in general, men cheat to stay and women cheat to leave. Mm. And so in, you know, three or four decades of working with couples in real time, what she started to realize was that men were having affairs, were cheating because there was something missing from the relationship or there was something that they weren't bringing into the relationship. And they had rationalized in a sort of just calculated way that it was easier for them to go and find what they needed externally 
and continue the relationship than it was to try and bring that piece into the relationship. And for women, they, you know, I mean, women initiate, I think it's 70 to 80% of divorces, right? It's a very high rate. Um, but, you know, women have on average affairs, and I've seen this to be true with the couples that I've worked with, they have affairs as a kind of like demarcation line of I'm either right at the very precipice of leaving this relationship or I've already crossed beyond that and mm-hmm. I'm out. And so <clears throat> I think the the why behind why we cheat also very much matters. And I think that that needs to come into the equation because, and again, this that's not a universal law, it's a generality. Um, it can be, you know, switched. Um, but for the most part, I've seen it to be true. And, and as I was talking about in my own personal experiences, like for the most part, I wasn't cheating because there was something wrong in the relationship or that I didn't want to be with that person or that I wanted to leave the relationship. I was having, uh, you know, extracurricular activity as I was, I was cheating because there was something that I felt like I couldn't bring into the relationship. And so I was trying to maintain the relationship while having that need met externally. Mm. And so I think that that's quite common for a lot of men where it's, um, you know, it's like we want to continue you know the family and make that through and just get by and and so we find this external thing because i think that for a lot of men when they enter into monogamy and when they enter into commitment there is this kind of fierce dedication that i've seen a lot of men bring into that kind of commitment it's like i've given my word to this and i felt that within myself when i uh, you know, asked my wife to marry me and stepped into marriage. It's like, there's this fierce commitment of like, you know, I've lived, I was, I think I was 35 or 36 at the time when I proposed. It's like, I lived 35 years and I'm entering into commitment for a very specific reason. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this work and to make this function. So I think that when me, when we as men, give our commitment to something especially as something as serious as marriage i think the majority of men truly at their core really want it to work and they want it to succeed and they want to win and they want it to function and so they'll do everything in their power to make that happen even when that thing is dysfunctional you know even when it's unhealthy they'll they'll deploy methods to try and stay in the relationship to try and make it work even if it's not a healthy way of being and you know cracks their integrity and etc yeah so yeah you got a book men's work i I really like your book thank you yeah i really love the exercise i think if a person went through and just did the um the prompts yeah ask those questions if you even just didn't read the book and just did the prompts it would be beyond worth it Mm mm-hmm Thank you. If you're actually just willing to do even a, probably a third of the prompts, yeah, it would be a, a big deal. Yeah. And it would be something that was, as I was reading, I was like, this would be really great to do in a relationship. It's geared towards men, but it's like, uh, uh, it was, you could just replace it with, yeah. you know. I've had a, I've had a lot gal. of couples, a lot of couples go through it together, actually. Really great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been, you know, I think one of the, if I can just say one thing very briefly is like, I think the therapeutic industry is doing men a disservice in a lot of ways. Uh, in the sense that there's a very feminized female approach of mm-hmm. just like let's get men to just feel good and to give them love and to give them validation, right. and to and you know there's this sort of myth that like 
the cure-all for our problems as men is to just be more vulnerable and open yeah. up. You know, no, we want to blow shit up. Everything. Yeah. We want purpose. We want to go. Yeah, we want to be we capable. We want to protect. Right? We I wanna... want an intruder to come in here right now so I can protect a girl. <laughs> like, that would be my freaking dream. <laughs> a girl didn't want that. A girl didn't want an intruder to come to the house. Right, like, right, I, right. I'm like, literally, like, that's my, I, like, I think about it. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I do too. It's like, what would happen? What would I, when my wife and I moved into our new home, it's like off in the country, yeah. you know? And I was like, what would I do? You know, the, like, I think it was the second night that we were staying there. And I remember I, I had problems falling asleep because my mind was so active of like, what would I do if an intruder came in? And I, like, I have these axes in the house and I was like, yeah, I definitely grab that axe. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm, fuck that guy up. Dude, my bed is littered with weapons. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> it's a funny thing it's a funny thing but anyway i wanted to it's make weapons the, and sex toys i wanted to make the book as tactical as possible uh, you know it's just like go through and do the work so i appreciate that yeah um you also have uh your instagram's great uh man talk is that how you call it man talks yeah man talks yeah what a great nice. handle what a great name thank you glad that exists yeah thank need you more men talking yeah i agree there's a term male normative alexithmia you ever uh, heard that term? I think it's like it's the male inability to express emotions. emotions. Yeah. It just like festers and then we like get in fights. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Women bicker. Yes. But they don't fight so much. Yeah. Men hold in and then, and then we fight. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got into a lot of bar fights for that exact reason in my late teens and early 20s. I've never was... been a fighter. Really? No, not into it. I like organized fighting. You'd probably do well. Yeah. I'd be all right. You know, you I've stopped fights. Aha. Uh -huh. See, yeah. I, I think I tried to stop fights mm. every once in a while, but then it was very, it was like, it was a conceptual idea. It's like, I want to stop this fight. Mm. And then I was like, I want to stop this fight by beating the shit out of that guy. That sounds no. like a good idea. No, I don't like violence. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Ah, I see. I want to suppress. Uh -huh. Love organized fighting though. Yeah. Big fan. Sads, you know, so, rules, regulations. I think it's, I think it's because I, when I played hockey growing up, uh, you know, two things. One, I eventually became the enforcer. And so mm -hmm. I was the guy that was, you know, protecting the, the really skilled players mm. when, you know, we'd play a team that was just brutal. Uh, and so I became the fighter. And secondly, I don't know if you guys did this, but we, uh, we had this tradition and maybe it's a Canadian thing called helmets and gloves. Mm. You guys have that. Mm -mm. So when somebody on your team fucked up, mm. uh, you would go after the game, you'd go back into the room and the guy that fucked up would have to just put on his helmet and his gloves and he'd have to fight one of the guys in the room for fucking up. Mm. And so it was like a, like a test of sort of like, like reclamation, you know, like paying your dues mm. for losing the game, but also just sort of like a reproving yourself. I don't advocate that. for that. I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to called, go about it, but called bipping where you'd slap each other in the dick. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that was the closest thing. That's a, uh, we do stupid shit. You oh, know, yeah. we really do We're animals. We really do dumb shit. It's terrible. But listen, man, this has been <laughs> phenomenal. And I feel like we had deep spiritual relational conversations yeah. mixed with just broing out yeah. about as hard as we could. Yeah. Yeah. Men's work, bro. Men's work, bro. We're doing it. Men's dude. work, bro. Yeah. Step by step. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh appreciate y'all for tuning in. That's it. That's all. See you next week. Bye.
Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Thank you once again for subscribing to this so you get each week's episodes. Thank you for leaving us reviews. Thank you also for tuning into the Align Podcast YouTube channel where we share new, fresh instructional content each week on how to support the health and movement of your body. Things like how to release your iliopsoas, how to regain functional mobility of your ankles, hips, shoulders, etc. If you got back pain, there is supportive content over there for you now. Jump over to the Lime Podcast YouTube channel and uh, subscribe, and I'll see you guys there.